0: Good morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. We started uh, this chapter last week, and uh, with God's help, we're going to round out the chapter. The series is the call to be spiritual, and uh, we've been walking through all of these different, really, problems at Corinth where they weren't being spiritual, and Paul's addressing them, and calling them to be the people that God saved them to be, and, and uh, what benefit we could have if we would listen in, right? Um, so this is a part two message, and so it's got the same title, Getting Paid. And uh, if you haven't uh, heard the, the first part of this sermon, uh, it is uh, recorded on our website so that you can go back and Uh, and listen to that first piece, or or at least spend some time reading 1 Corinthians 9 so that you can uh, really get a sense of the whole chapter. Okay, so we're in chapter 9. We're going to pay particular attention to verses 15 through the end of the chapter, okay? I don't know if you know this, but, um, you know, we had a pretty big uh, holiday for our country just uh, several days ago, right? The 4th of July, Independence Day. But do you know that there was a celebration, a holiday of a different kind just a few days before that? Um, well, we don't really celebrate it. Uh, it's celebrated in New York. And, and not really even all of the New Yorkers celebrate it, just the Mets fans. You see, uh, July 1st is Bobby Bonilla Day, at least in New York's uh, The Mets Stadium, City Field there. Um, And the reason that Bobby Bonilla, you ever wanted your own holiday, right? I mean, the Tom Deming Day, right? Um, But here's Bobby Bonilla Day. And and so the way this came about is uh, the owners of the Mets lost hundreds of millions of dollars investing with Bernie Madoff and his Ponzi schemes, and you know, he went to jail and he died uh, not not too terribly long ago. Um, Because of this, the Mets had negotiated with Bobby Bonilla to pay the remaining $5.9 million on his contract out over 25 years. You see they didn't have the 5.9 million at the ready to pay him for his final year of the contract and so they negotiated with him that they would pay him just shy of 1.2 million bucks every July 1st for 25 years. So so for him he was going to get like 50 million bucks over 25 years instead of this just shy of 6 million dollars paid out to him On July 1st, and the fans started to recognize that and celebrate it as Bobby Bonilla Day. A holiday of sorts. Well, this illustrates at least a couple of things. I mean, we could talk about this. I mean, it's kind of an interesting story, but but it illustrates at least a couple of things. The owners of the Mets were looking to get paid in this life, right? I mean putting all of their money into this very risky scheme that was, that, that was not to be believed, really. Um, what, was, what was being promised to those who um, invested with, with Madoff. They were hoping to get paid in this life. And Bobby Bonilla, he, he's getting all he could ever hope out of the contract that he had, get, you know, get, getting paid as much as he possibly could, really, in this life. But Ponzi schemes and contract negotiations are only one way to get get to what you want, to get paid. For Christians, sacrifice is actually the pathway to great rewards. Sacrifice. That's the pathway for God's church. We get paid, if you will, through sacrifice. And, And I would just ask you, are you looking to get all that you can out of this life and the next? Are you? Are you? If you are, then listen in. This text is for you. God preserved it down through the ages so that we might listen to it together this morning. So I'm going to read that second half of chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 we will start. You know, we're, there's two things we're going to do this morning that we do with regularity. We're going to read the scriptures out loud and In a little while, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And uh, there's great danger into just like sort of slipping into automatic pilot mode. But friends, God speaks through his word. He meets with us in communion. So pay careful attention here. Um, Ask God to, to, to make you fully engaged in worship here, right? So verse 15, God's word says this. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Recall the first half of the chapter, he has made a case for the right to get paid by the gospel he preached uh, from the local churches. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward, that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. that giving up money for people is great reward. Giving up money for people is great reward. Last week, we looked at the minister's right to get paid. That was verses 1 through 14. It's a fundamental part of God's plan, of course. His plan to love his people and provide spiritual leadership and nourishment for his people. For Paul to obey his apostolic call for local pastors and missionaries to fulfill their call to gospel ministry, the Lord has declared that they are free to make their living from that work. Paul's already made the case for his right to be paid by the gospel he preached. We looked at that last week. Today, we look more deeply at his motivation for doing so. So we move now from Paul's right to be paid and turn to the reward of laying it aside. Look there at verse 15 again, right at the beginning. But I have made no use of any of these rights. Now, Paul took money from from, from other churches, but he had refused to take money from Corinth for their sake. In doing so, he demonstrated that giving up money for people is great reward. But how so? How so? In what ways is giving up money for people reward? You know, what kind of reward? What does that look like? Well, that's what we'll examine here in the second half of this chapter. We'll see these rewards. First, an inherent blessing in doing so. Secondly, an internal bent that God gives his people. Third, a transformed will. And fourth, a treasure that awaits. That's the four sort of pieces, the four rewards that we'll look at. An inherent blessing, an internal bent, a transformed will, and a treasure that awaits. Giving up rights, friends. Remember I told you sacrifice was the way to get paid, right? Not through, you know, ultimately, right? Not, not knowing how to hit a baseball really far. I mean, that would get you paid maybe for a while. And if you're Bobby Bonilla for a long while, but that while will come to an end. But for God's people, those who follow Jesus, sacrifice, giving up rights like money for people is the means to great reward. It's first of all a reward because sacrificing one's rights is seeking the inherent blessing of engaging in the mission that your king has called you to. In other words, there is something in the work itself that's blessing. It's not like, so, so there, there's, there's reward that comes later. We're going to get to that. But what I'm saying is that sacrificing your rights in order to serve other people, there's a blessing in that work. That's the first point, and we really need to see that this morning. It's seeing Christ and what he has asked of you as your supreme joy, as the greatest thing anyone will ever offer you. It's seeing Christ and his mission as your all in all. In other words, you have humbly came to the place where you have valued Jesus and the costly love of others he leads you to live out as altogether satisfying. Yes, there is inherent blessing in sacrificing your rights to serve others. We see this sort of sprinkled throughout our text. It was first kind of raised in the second half of verse 12, but, but look at verse 23. It says it so plainly. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. It's great blessing to uh, uh, as, a, as, a, as a Gentile, as a non-believer, it's great blessing to have a Christian come and share the gospel with you. And he's saying, I share in the blessings as I'm, as I'm offering it to, to, to people that need Jesus that I may share with them in its blessing. Serving in gospel ministry is blessing in and of itself. Paul received great joy in using the gifts God gave him and and for the people that, that God gave him to serve. And he had this sort of humble clarity of this calling. We sometimes get a little bit too complicated in our Christian life. Learn from this humble, simple calling. Lay it all aside and see the blessing in just loving other people. That's what Paul's demonstrating. It's what he's holding out for us. Consider his words in the second letter he writes to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Consider his words on this point. You have to grasp this through Paul's biting sarcasm here in this context in chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. But the message, I think, is loud and clear. Listen carefully now. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. In other words, he says, uh, like, I didn't sin against you coming to you in humble service to you. And God knows my love for you. You see, what, you see what I'm saying? There's this inherent blessing in the work itself. Funding full-time gospel ministry by working a second job when you don't have to, that is a huge undertaking. And that's what Paul had done in Corinth. He had built tents there on the side. It's a great, it was a great sacrifice. But doing so is great reward. It has to be in a man's eyes. Like, Just follow the logic of the thinking here. The work has to be great reward in order for you to take on this great sacrifice to make you willing to do this. He had Paul would have had to see the the people he's serving and Christ's message to them as being of such import that, that seemingly no sacrifice was too great to be a part of such satisfying work. Are you hearing me this morning? He has to see people that is the Christian that's obedient, that is, that is running after this reward. He has to see people through Christ's eyes with compassion and with the hope of being a means of eternal help to them. Do you see people that way? Do you see the work that way, friends? Listen, it's time for us to stop being lazy on the mission. We've got to get up and use our resources and our time and pour into people's lives because we humbly see this this great blessed work and the great hope it is for those who don't have Christ now. Giving up money for people is great reward. Giving up our rights for people is great reward. When approaching a Christian mission in genuine humility, seeing Christ for all he is and what sharing the gospel with others does for, for people trapped in their sin, this is the clarity of humility that Paul was able to hold out for us. It was, it was why he was able to say in verse 12, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. That's verse 12. Listen now. There is then this inherent blessing that comes from giving yourself up for the good of others, sacrificing your rights that would likely be an obstacle obstacle to them receiving the good news, sweeping it all away, even if it's really great stuff for you, just kicking it to, to the side. So that you won't be an obstacle to people receiving the good news. There's inherent blessing in that, and you have to do it to experience it. You have to experience it to know it. Giving up rights you have so that you'll hear so so that others will hear what Christ has done for them? What are you willing to? offer up as a sacrifice, so that your witness might ring true to people. Boy, to give something up so that others would hear and believe. When Christians approach the mission with humility, they cannot wait to give up their rights for people. Doing so brings great delight to the soul like no paycheck ever could. And this reality is borne out by countless Christian workers around the world. Those who had worked for too little live in shabby conditions, forego comfort and financial security in order to get rid of any obstacle to the gospel moving forward. Friends, it's all around us. Praise God for for giving people the the, the humble eyes to see the inherent blessing and saying no sacrifice is too great. It's great reward to be part of removing obstacles for the gospel to reach others, even when it means significant sacrifice. Look at verse 12 again there. Paul wrote, we endure what? Anything. We endure anything. Giving up money was not too high a price to pay for him. Not even giving up his actual freedom was too high a price to pay. Listen to his words in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, he told Timothy, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. And then he says, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. Even if it means getting locked up. And in that same passage, he's like, I'm locked up, but the word's not locked up. Why is sacrifice reward? It's reward when you realize that you give up earthly things for eternal ones. You make the right judgment. That you give up rights that you have here for a little while in order to be used to bring people back to God forever. There's an inherent blessing in that. So giving up money for people is great reward. First of all, because it brings you this all-satisfying joy... Just being part of Christ's rescue mission for sinners is inherently and supremely fulfilling. Have you ever experienced it? Maybe it's because you need to get, get on the mission. Maybe it's time to get busy. Stop being an undercover Christian. Start talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when stuff gets in the way, kick it to the side. There's inherent blessing, friends. Come join in the mission and, and experience that blessing. There's another reward though, if that's not enough. We got four of them. That first one's really enough, isn't it? But but Paul just sort of layers it out, as he does in these arguments in these letters, right? So here's the second blessing. Giving up your rights for people is great reward. Because God gives you a powerful impulse to serve. When you commit to him, he gives you this this internal bent to serve. It doesn't come from you. It's not like, oh, raise your hand if you're the really good, strong Christians that you you brought something. There's nobody like that. The blessing is is experiencing what God is doing inside of you as you're on the mission. It's related to that inherent blessing, but but it's this this impulse, this drive, this, this, this desire to serve, and it is true blessing. Paul talks about it in his own life there in verse 16, the second half of the verse. Do you see it there? Necessity is laid upon me woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Do you see it there? Necessity is laid upon me. I mean, he, consider the powerful image he uses with those words. It's like Paul says that there's this great weight upon him that can only get lifted when he fulfills the calling that God has given him. It's like, ah! I can only get this off if I actually sacrifice and serve people in the gospel. That's when the weight is lifted. Necessity is just on me. I've got to do it. So strong was Paul's desire to evangelize and strengthen young churches that he was willing to do so largely at his own expense. He wrote this to the Philippians in chapter 4 and verse 12 of that book. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Earlier in the same letter, he wrote, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Because there was this bent, this, this driving need that God gave Paul, and he gives it to us, friends to serve him, no matter the cost. Do you have that? Maybe it's because you are worshiping at the, at the altar of an idol right now. Maybe it's because you are too concerned with satisfying your lusts here in this world. Maybe because you're, you're, just, you're just too selfish, and you need to turn from these sins, friends. Repent of such things and ask God to give you this bent because it is true reward. To have that motivation, that driving inside of you, ask for it. If you don't have it, beg God to give it to you. And ask God to show you what's in the way of it. This desire within Paul was not because he was a better man than any of us. I hinted at that earlier. It, it, was, it was from the Spirit of Christ. That's where this desire, this impulse comes from. And so he could talk about boasting in a desire to preach while sacrificing his right of getting paid while doing so. He could talk about it as boasting. He, he says he would rather die than stop preaching. But then he quickly says, it it, it, it wasn't his preaching himself that was the basis of his boast, but this desire to lay everything aside in order to do it. That was his boast. And and that desire came from God. So the boast is really in God. You see the logic there? It's a little hard to follow the tracing because he uses boasting in a positive way and then sort of backs off on it. But he's trying to make sure that nobody is going to take away. None of the Corinthian Christians are going to say, like, oh, Paul thinks all that about himself. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, I'd rather die than give up the reward of living out this desire God put in me to lay everything aside so that I might so I might serve people with the gospel. It's incredible. It's incredible this this powerful impulse to serve. Giving up money for people is great reward. Giving up your rights, your Christian rights, in order to serve other people, it's great reward. First, because it brings you inherent blessing, the the joy and satisfaction to sacrifice for the spiritual well-being of others. Second, because God gives his people an inner bent, this, this desire within to use what he's given them to minister to people. And third... The third reward. Sacrifice for others is reward thirdly because the possibilities of a transformed will is so great. The possibilities of what will happen out there in the world with us having a will that is completely transformed, it's mind-blowing. Look at verse 19, and I'll, I'll grab a piece of 22 also. He says, "'Though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all.'" That I might win more of them. Second half of 22. I have become all things. You know this verse, right? I I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Winning people for God. That's the goal. Saving sinners. This is the massive reward of those willing to sacrifice their money and their time and other rights to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Paul's powerful motivation to give up everything for the souls of the lost. Let us pray for such motivation to have this transformed will so that our desire is not for self but for sacrifice for the good of others. It's a spiritual gift again to have this like will that is just completely turned around for God. And look at what Paul was willing to give up, how he was willing to shape his life to not be an offense to various cultures he encountered. encountered. Look first at verses 20 through 21. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, likely converts to Judaism. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, that would be the great majority of the Gentiles, right? To to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Paul didn't used to be this way. These words, to the Jew, I became like a Jew. To Gentiles, I became like Gentiles. I mean, just read the book of Acts, the first part. He he didn't used to be like that. His identity was that of a Jew, as one who followed the law of Moses as closely as he could. I mean Philippians chapter three, verses four through six really tell you about this. But he's different now. His will has been completely transformed by the Spirit of Christ at this point. He was willing to be flexible with everything that was morally neutral. Make sure you get that last part. He was willing to be flexible with anything that wasn't immoral. That would, you know, in other words, he wouldn't do something immoral to reach people with the gospel. But everything else was up for grabs. Yeah, you, know, you want me to wear a yarmulke? You want me to? eat pork, not eat pork, you, you want me to, you know, wear a certain dress when I come over to eat at your house, like, whatever it was, those things are incidental. They're cultural things. No problem. My desire is to reach people so that I might win some. His will is completely transformed. Do you bristle about that if you have to do something in order to be with somebody? You've got to dress a certain way in order to, you know, go to like an Indian gathering or something like that. Or, or eat a certain food. That, I mean, that's a big thing for me. Like, I'm so picky, right? If I go some, somewhere, am I willing to eat something I really don't want to eat in order to minister to people? Like, like this is what he's talking about here. This, this willingness for Christians to be flexible. And friends, we're terrible at this. We're absolutely terrible about this. Because we're, because as Americans we want to be individuals we want to have ultimate freedom in everything we don't want anybody throwing anything on us we're terrible at this but we've really got to find uh we've we've really got to strive to be flexible in our culture so that we can get to people with the gospel there's a lot of areas where Christians are free of course for freedom Christ set me free. And it's our job to negotiate the places where we can give way to the culture while not compromising the gospel, of course, but while not compromising our new, pure lives in Jesus. There's a lot of ways, a lot of places to do that. Do you think about ways you can sacrifice in areas that are non-essential to the Christian faith? Do you ever do that? Do you ever think about like, I wonder if I could stretch myself. I wonder, wonder if there's places I could go that's outside my box in order to reach people for Jesus. Paul gives these several examples. I'm, I'm going to lump his living like Jews and living like he was under the law together. The ceremonial parts of the law have been fulfilled in Jesus, of course. You know that, Right? the great weight of the Mosaic Law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, verse 16-17. Let me prove the point. Let no one pass judgment on you, Paul would write, in questions of food and drink. The Mosaic Law had a lot to say about food and drink. Don't eat this kind of uh, animal, etc. Right? Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Or with regard to a festival. Or a new moon, or a Sabbath; these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let nobody judge you on these ceremonial parts of the law. In other words, he, he was he was writing to the Colossians. But despite Paul's freedom from doing such things, to having these restrictions on him from the law, despite that, he he would. He would willingly yield to such things so that he wouldn't offend people unnecessarily. I mean, uh, y- you know, he might, for instance, forego eating uh, a previously forbidden food. Or, or, or he might yield building tents on the Sabbath, though he's freedom to do so. No longer are the Sabbaths with restrictions on us. He would sacrifice such freedoms so that those cultural issues wouldn't get in the way of him engaging with people. You see, if you offend people, I mean, if you walk up and slap somebody across the face, they don't really care what you have to say after that. Uh, and that's sort of the—that's sort of what he's saying here. Like, get rid of the unnecessary offenses that you might make to people so that you can connect to them, so that you can talk to them about Jesus. Friends, we're discerning enough to do that, aren't we? In the Spirit of God within us? Praying for a heart to minister to people? Surely God will help us to navigate such things, but we've got to be willing to let go of our freedoms. Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to be flexible and even submit to others' religious restrictions in order to win them to Jesus? not do something that their religious holy day prohibits so that you can talk to them. Right? You see the point? Because Paul's will had been transformed by the spirit of Christ to want to win people rather than be right on various cultural issues, he could do these things. Think of the possibilities of a transformed will. need to do likewise. Paul was even willing to be flexible to non-religious people, those free from the law anyways. He wasn't willing, of course, to violate the law of Christ, that is to, to live in accordance with the gospel. Does your freedom to voice your political views get in the way of winning people? Do you see weddings where alcohol will be served or dancing or certain kind of music will take place as something you want to avoid and so avoid the opportunity to witness to people? Do you avoid motorcycle or car shows because there will be people with tattoos or dress differently than you or talk roughly and so lose out on speaking Christ to them? Or do you need to let go of your freedoms in order to reach people? God has transformed you, friends. But you've got to keep repenting and and asking God to help you obey that transformed will and stop sort of layering things on like the Pharisees were doing to the law, right? Recall that our Savior was a friend of sinners, eating with tax collectors and being merciful to people with terrible reputations. And Paul continued that example for us. What will you do to follow them? Paul saw that sacrificing his right to be paid in order to reach people for Christ was great reward. It, it was great reward because of its inherent blessing, because of, it, of this internal bent that God had given him, and because of what his transformed will could accomplish win people in all different kinds of categories. But there's a last one. The final reward that he speaks of. Sacrificing for the good of people is great reward because of our treasure that awaits. Because of our treasure that awaits. We see this in the last uh, verses of the chapter, verses 24 through 27. Look at 24 there. It, it, I'll admit, when you hit 24, it sounds like it doesn't go with the rest of the passage that we've been looking at. But it does. Look at it. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. The prize here is eternal life itself. It's not like rewards for being the best soul winner and, and, or you know, something like that. All who are in Christ receive eternal life. That is if they endure to the end. Did you hear me? You receive eternal life if you endure to the end. Paul has spoken of endurance as the endurance of living a life of sacrifice for the good of others' souls. Endure the giving up of rights in order to win people. That's what the Christian life looks like. But make no no mistake, sacrifice for God's people might cost, cost them everything. Sacrificing for other people, for God, might cost you everything. Are you willing to sacrifice things you enjoy to reach people? If you are, you're promised the great reward of eternal life. In other words, not as a reward for your sacrifice, but a reward for your endurance as a Christian. And enduring as a Christian looks like sacrificing for other people. You follow me? James 1 verse 12 blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial Paul's example here is the trial of giving up your rights blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial James writes for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him as you sacrifice your rights to reach people to bless people with God's goodness do so with an eye to the treasure that awaits you that will motivate you to keep sacrificing. May the hope of your forever future with your king motivate you to let go of things that don't matter ultimately, things that won't last. Look to the reward of life, Paul says. Don't squander your life for awards that perish, good reputations that are based on you being quiet about your, your faith to your neighbors. Do everything necessary to reach people, friends. Be all things to all people, so you might win some. Discipline yourself. Sacrifice. Be flexible. Love people rather than your rights. Notice Paul is motivated in yet another way. Verse 27. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. That's verse 27, the last verse lest I myself should be disqualified. What's he talking about there? The Bible frequently uses the other side of the coin when speaking about the treasured eternal life that awaits those who love God. Sometimes the Spirit uses a warning and says, consider what happens if you turn back. Consider what happens if you stop living a life of faith. life of faith looks like sacrificing for other people. Consider what it looks like if you don't obey out of love. Sometimes the Spirit uses a warning, and it's this. Consider consider what would happen if you abandoned the mission He has called you to. By falling in love with the things of this world and your rights to them and seizing them instead of Him and His mission. Consider what happens if you do that. You know what happens? you don't get heaven. Those that abandon the mission, those who turn back from Christ's call, they don't get heaven. Let that motivate you. Let that motivate you to be faithful. Let that motivate you to give up your rights for other people. Eternal life is in the balance. Once saved, always saved. Christians don't lose their inheritance, but consider what happened if you did. That's the warning, and it motivates you to go, oh, and re- you're reminded again of what Christ has saved you from, and, and it wells up in you this desire to sacrifice to him in worship. After warning his disciples of the world's hatred and persecution of Christians, of the great cost of serving others for his sake, after that, Jesus held out the reward Matthew 10 verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So endure, friends. Endure. Look to the treasure that awaits. Those who gladly sacrifice their rights in this world for people, like Paul and his wages, experience the greatest of rewards. They get paid way more than Bobby Bonilla gets paid. They get paid with inherent blessing, an internal bent to follow Christ in a profound way, a transformed will to win people and a treasure of eternal life that awaits them. But all of this is possible not by our sheer willpower, right? All of this is possible because of Christ's joyful sacrifice of all of his rights as the King of Heaven. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9, and deacons, if you'll make your way to the table as I read this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, think about how rich he was, the King of Heaven. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's astounding. He laid aside his rights, which are infinitely greater than ours, in order to receive the blessing of pouring himself out for other people. And that's what we celebrate at the table. Christ left behind the riches of his throne, the delight of his Father, so he might be seen as our substitute, enduring till the end the wrath of God for our sins. That's what we remember at the table. Christian, do you need to repent of holding on to your rights instead of loving others God has given you to serve? Is now a time you need to to repent of such things? Take a few moments to receive God's forgiveness in Christ again, which is endless grace for you. Prepare your hearts. If you have repented of your sins and followed him, trusting in him alone to save you, this table is for you. But if you have not yet done that, friends, let the elements pass. Again, we're not doing it. I mentioned it when I was about to read the scriptures, remember. We don't do any of these things just out of rote, look at me, you know, non-thinking, whatever. This, these elements are for people that are born-again Christians. That have turned from their sins and placed their trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them. So, if that isn't you yet, that's okay. Let the elements pass, but pray that God would save you today. Think about what these elements represent. If you want to talk to somebody about salvation in Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that very thing. So, take a few moments and just meditate over these things as the deacons would, uh, as, as Bill and the other deacons would uh, pass out the elements.